0: Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order.
1: Focus on what you have and not what you don't have. And that will actually help the creativity come out because you can focus on the action versus the decisions.
2: Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hey everybody! Welcome to Everyday Acupuncture. My guest today is Victoria Prozen, and I'm not really sure how to describe what she does. So I'll share this with you from the landing page to her website: persistent curiosity, enterprising creativity, defiant integrity, sacred self-expression. Did that catch your attention? It certainly caught mine. Oh. And she has her own star in the middle of the galaxy of awesomeness over on Facebook. That's right. The universal meeting place for pictures of cute cats and someone's breakfast. But I've yet to see either of those in her particular galaxy. I've invited Victoria to join me today because in addition to acupuncture and herbal medicine, one of the foundational pillars of Chinese medicine has to do with that elusive and ever yet present spark of spirit and cultivation. And I suspect we just might conjure up some creative magic here today as we dip into some creativity, discovery, and that certain something that lights us up when we touch into the heart of our own brilliance and intuition. Victoria, welcome to Everyday Acupuncture.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to be here.
2: I'm really happy to have you here. We've had a little, maybe more than just a little conversation back forth over on the Galaxy of Awesomeness. Um, which people can find over on Facebook. What, actually, why don't you just give us a quick intro to the galaxy of awesomeness? Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay, great. Okay, so well, do you want me to talk a little bit about what you know, who I am and what I do? Because I understand that sometimes introducing me can be confusing because I kind of keep I keep a hand in a lot of different areas.
2: I would love to hear how you introduce yourself because after looking at that first page of your website. There's like a billion ways that could go, so let's let's hear it from uh, from you.
1: Okay. Well, I, you know, as far as labels go, I can I can come up with a few of those, but at the heart of what I do is I'm super passionate about the power of creativity. So, from a very you know business point of view, I would describe myself as a creative power coach, but I do so much more than that. Um, I have a de- a background in design, and so I really also think of myself as a visual communicator. Design is something that it's kind of a misunderstood thing. Um, Some people, it's a very vague word that's thrown around a lot. But in essence, design is really a kind of a language of communication and problem solving. And so I really kind of filter my world through the idea of design. And, you know, obviously, creativity is a huge part of, of what design is. And so I just kind of have a little bit of everything. I also have a background in client relations. And so what I kind of pull from that is the idea of diplomacy and empathy. So some of these words sound very, you know, business oriented. But at the heart of what I do is creativity, which is fed by um, empathy and sort of then kind of comes out the other end as a form of communication and a form of self-expression. And so those are the things that really light me up because not only are they interesting, but I feel that these are the things that help us kind of heal our own selves as we pass through this world and also can help heal the, the, the greater world that we live in. These are how we can connect with each other and with ourselves.
2: Yeah, in a healing way. Yes. Yeah, I I was just thinking um, one of the things that came to mind as you're talking about this, and I love hearing the words business and empathy in the same sentence, by the way. You know, a lot of us have somehow caught into the notion that business is evil or it's it's somehow a means to an end rather than a process in itself. And, And to hear empathy in the middle of that is really reassuring. Because I know in the work that I do, it's essential. And it sounds like in the work you do, it's fundamental.
1: Exactly. And it's easy to see why people don't associate those words together. Because, unfortunately, there are too many examples of of them not having any connection. But um, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. And so, you know, small business. my, My grandfather was an immigrant. Um, learned how to reupholster furniture. And that's sort of where my family business started. And so I grew up in an environment where like, this is all I knew. I, you know, there, there weren't any jobs in my house. There Mm -hmm. was just businesses. And so what I, I see it through a very different lens. I think that business is really a platform that can solve a lot of the same problems that it has caused up until this point. And so that's why I bring empathy into it because To to me, business is just another form of relationship, Um, but again, that's not exactly how it's usually perceived. And so, you know, I sometimes have you know I'm a big talker, Betty Crocker. I like I have very big ideals of what what can happen in the world. But one of those is that business can be a platform for change and empathy. And there are obviously are examples of businesses out there who have already started that trend, but I think that we haven't, we haven't even begun to really tap into the real power that, um, that you know, business can bring by using empathy.
2: I've, I've heard it mentioned, very similar to what you're saying, that business, in particularly small business, local business, um, people, who, you can't tell much the difference between their business and their life. Deep forces for social change and social good and, and, you know, it's good for the local economy.
1: Exactly. I mean, again, when we think about business, you know, we don't usually think about the mom and pop, you know, stores that we might pass through in our, you know, in our hometowns. We think about the multinational corporations who are out there, you know, doing the evil stuff. But it's, it, you know, so it's a matter of where we want to put our, um, where we just really want to put our focus. And for me, when I think about business, you know, I think about it from my own point of view as an entrepreneur, but I also flip that equation and I think about, okay, when I spend my money, there are very few things that kind of are equal in society. One of them is the vote we get. And even sometimes that, some people have to fight a lot harder for that vote, but we Mm -hmm. get one vote. And then every dollar we spend is equal. And so if we really pay attention to where our dollars go, like, really pay attention. And it's hard because it's, you know, there's a lot of mess to untangle. But if we pay attention to where those dollars go, that's how we can also vote. Yes. So I mean, that's sort of, my, that's sort of my, my thing. And that, you know, like you said, we want the small businesses. We want the people that we have, you know, one-on-one relationships with to, to flourish. And so if we, if we pay attention to how we can do that, we can, ch- we can really change the dynamic and, and change the, the, the way the world works. Not tomorrow, but gradually over time.
2: Yes. I'm, I'm a, I totally get that. I'm, in, I'm kind of in that business as well of doing something to make the world a little better in my neighborhood. Exactly. Yeah. So, hey, there was something that, that you said about, um, about healing and, and creativity. I don't know about you. Um, for myself, I kind of grew up in a in a time and in a place where creativity was maybe for kids, and it was for certain people, but you know, other than those people that were like creative because they somehow got gifted or um, otherwise burdened with the creative gene, so to speak, it wasn't for the rest of us. And the longer that I've gone in this world, the more that I've seen that that's a real fallacy one of the reasons I've been so happy to stumble across your work and your website is the amazing questions that you throw out and the various, it, it, you know, I almost feel like a friend has come up alongside, nudged me in the ribs and said, shh, don't look, you know, don't turn your head too quickly, but look over here at this. And oh, I I'd, love that. Thank you. So t- I'd like to hear more about how to cultivate that aspect of us. Because, again, this this show is about healing. And often there's parts of us that somehow got left by the wayside that really should have a place at the table.
1: Sure. So let's start at the very beginning. And let's start out with one of the things that I, a thousand percent, I don't just believe it, I know it. And that is that every single one of us is creative. Now, that's not to say that we all identify ourselves as creative. In fact, you know, most adults, especially, like you said, you know, they've long, they long ago left that behind and which is unfortunate. But if you look, okay, so let's say, you know, you're talking to some kids, like, you know, kids under 10, kids, do not run around saying things like "Oh, I'm not creative." Like you know, I'm very left-brained or whatever. In the same way that adults do, and that is because we were creative at that point. And you know, through a very through a variety of sources, you know, our parents, school, the way our economy is is structured, or at least has been structured. I think it's changing, but those were not valuable skills. There was there was it was seen as play and who needs play? That's not important. Like you gotta, you know, you gotta know math and you gotta know science and you gotta be able to support yourself. And so as we grow up, those things are devalued. And so of course, we're going to stop paying attention to them. Um, Unfortunately, you know, I think society as a whole suffers for that as we do as individuals. Now, some people might hear the, the phrase, everyone is creative, and think like, oh, no, I'm not. Like, there's nothing you can say that's going to convince me that I'm creative because that's just not my experience. But I think we also have a tendency, a tendency to confuse creative expression with, like, creative skills. And so what I mean by that is, you know, art and music and the, the, the traditional humanities – those are things, you know, I I did not grow up in a household that paid a lot of attention to art or music. Those were things that I later discovered on my own. But at the same time, I did grow up in a very creative household. I, I grew up with a mom who sewed most of my clothes. We did all kinds of crafts. As I mentioned, the family business was a, a, a furniture and reupholstery store. So like, you know, th- that's a creative endeavor for sure. Well,
2: holy smokes. Any time... You're the boss of your own livelihood. Yes. Of course you're creative or you're out of business.
1: Right. You're creating a business. Like, you know, it's a fundamental part of what you're doing. Yes. And so, you know, so like I didn't grow up thinking I was I, like, those were not words. That was not language that I used. But, you know, as I grew older, when I went away to college, I discovered photography. And this was back, you know, when there were dark rooms and, and chemicals and film And so that was really the first time I ever explored these ideas for my, for myself. And since that I, you know, I've fallen in and out of my sort of my creative expression, but as I get older, it, it really is, you know, kind of coming back to the idea of the healing. It is through our creative spirit and our creative power that we find our self-expression and, Self-expression is so important. It's so to me that is the that's the healing. That's how we can, you know, best heal is to feel that we can we not only have the ability to self express, but we, you know, in essence have permission. And sometimes we have to take that permission for ourselves because it is not given. But that, you know, and that when we can sort of stand in that power. And know whether or not what we are saying or expressing or offering to the world is necessarily met or understood. I believe that the power of just putting it out there is where that healing really takes place.
2: Yeah. You know, I've found that permission is rarely given. Yes. And when it's given... It's conditional. It's, it's conditional. And there's still something being held back when when. Permission goes out the window. I don't need permission to do whatever it is I'm going to do. There's something else that comes into play. I don't quite have words for it, but it comes from a deeper feeling sense. There's an authenticity that just can't be denied when yes. permission goes mm-hmm. out the window.
1: Yes. And I think that that piece of permission, you know, we can talk about the outside world but i think that even like we have to like kind of wrestle permission from our own egos ah. so you know it's not just a, like the outside world it's the ego too and to me that i think that's where the healing comes in is that to me my creative my creative power is my spirit like it's you know it's it's all the same thing to me we can all call it different things we can call it the same thing but when you you know when you're in that space of you're not attached to the outcome, you're not attached to the externals, you know, whatever it is that you're creating, what it's going to look like or be accepted as at the end, and you're just in the process, that's, to me, that's, that's the healing space. I think part of what I, get really passionate about, you know, kind of talking about these kinds of things is that I think that your creative spirit and bringing creativity into your life isn't just a, like, a luxury or a distraction, but it's actually a core piece of self-care, just like exercise, just like nutrition, um, just like getting, you know, good sleep, just like having healthy relationships. That, that creative power is part of that, that it, it lives in that same dynamic,
2: I've had similar experience. Now, I've got a question that Mm -hmm. comes up about this, because part of what's so delightful about inhabiting that process, where time kind of falls away, and the stories that we tell ourselves about what we can and can't do, they kind of fall away. And even as you said, the results, the results fall away. We're not doing it for results. We're doing it for the experience of seeing where it goes. There's an aspect of that that's wonderful and exciting to be kind of dancing around on the edge of the unknown. The flip side of that is at the edge of our known world where there is like an ocean of uncertainty. And, you know, in the old days, they drew maps of the edge of the world. and They always drew dragons there, right? And my experience is that they draw dragons there because there are dragons there because the uncertainty of knowing what might come next it can freeze us up and it can liberate us but it can also freeze us up so have you got any thoughts about working with uncertainty and working with the unknown
1: oh such good stuff um well i will say like speaking of dragons i'm a i'm a big joseph campbell fan and this is where a lot of his work has been very helpful for me personally you know talking about this you know his his belief that the cave you fear to enter is the very cave that holds your treasure and that's basically what i hear when you know we're talking about the dragons on the edge because it's really it's really passing through that that uncertainty that brings all of the creative spirit really to the surface and re- and that's where we really begin to be able to self-express so it's not about oh uh, well it's kind of uncertain like you know how do i avoid this or how do i minimize it it's kind of the like you got to walk through the fire because that's actually where the the power and the beauty and the healing exists and so i think that detaching from the outcome is part of that and it's, and this is where the trust comes in, that you really have to just trust yourself that you know the way forward and that you, that, you know, that you're okay, even when you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen if you, you know, you take this, this little tangent off the path and that, you know, and that it's a series of little baby steps, you know, you can't. We can't see through the fog. We can't see what's at the end. And so we have to focus on taking one step and then another step and then another step. And those, that sort of idea is so, you know, contrary to the society and the culture where you live in, where, you know, everything's got to be bigger and better and faster. And, you know, you have to have certainty. And so it's the paradox of who you are and, and perhaps what you're here for. And the the culture that's, you know, sending you these very uh, conflicting messages that are saying, no, it's unsafe. Um, And it's because as you walk through that unknown, you are going to bring you're going to bring some of that unknown with you back, back to the community. And some people want that and some people don't.
2: Yeah, I like that idea of dipping up a little unknown and bringing it back. There's something, uh, well, I'm also a fan of Joseph Campbell and that reaching deep down and coming up with something essential. We might Mm -hmm. have words for it, we might not, but when, when that comes back up into the light, so to speak, it's almost like magic dust. Things can really change in big and usually very unexpected ways.
1: Most definitely, like, you know, there's a lot of definitions of success in our world, and usually they're, you know, structured around money and um, influence and fame and things like that. And th- you know, that's not to say that whatever success is for any individual may not include some or all of those things. But for me, like how I will define success for myself, um, you know, when I take my last breath, is you know, did I walk through that unknown? Did I do the best I could? to, to move through that and to perhaps make it all the way through and bring that, that whatever that I'm here to bring back. Did, did I, did I do my best to do that? Not, you know, did I sell enough widgets or did I, did I get on a reality show and everybody knows who I am? Like there's just so much of that in, um, our culture and it's, so that's that's sort of a tangent because to me that's about consumption, which is the opposite of creation, um, and I think that that's part of where we as a society are getting completely um, out of whack. But you know for me, success is have I pushed myself far enough? Have I pushed myself into that unknown? Maybe not every single moment of every single day because I'm a person, and there are days where I'm afraid and I'm hesitant and I'm doubtful, and I you know need to honor that in those moments but ultimately you know i'm i feel like we're each here to take that journey on our own and sometimes it's not easy and a lot of the times it's not pretty but it's it's really in essence where we do find the beauty and the healing within us
2: i trust that unknown and when i get close to that edge sometimes it's it's just fine leaping into it I, i i've had those moments of grace but a lot of times I get really squirrely and I need, I need to talk myself into it or I need to sidle up to it. Or sometimes the universe just, you know, gives me a whopping kick in the butt and, you know, tosses me in. Um, but I'm, cu- I'm curious to know when you come up to that edge and, and it starts getting a little uncomfortable or maybe really uncomfortable, how do you work with that discomfort and how do you work with that uncertainty and stay present? with moving forward into that?
1: Well, I think you you uh, alluded to the solution in your question by staying present. Um, and that's something that, you know, I, I used to, I didn't even know what being present meant. Um, and I used to think that the fear that comes up as we get into that unknown, I thought that was, you know, that was a warning sign of like, oh, don't go here. Well, it was for my ego. But so... I, Somebody told me this, and this is something, and I, you know, I don't know where it came from. I'm sure somebody said it at some point, but it's something that I come back to when I'm feeling what you're talking about. And that is that when, um, when we finally broke the sound barrier, when somebody is you know, in a plane or in a whatever kind of ship that is, is capable of breaking the sound barrier, right before you break through, that is when that, that plane or that ship shakes the most, and then you break through and it's calm. And I remind myself of that because obviously as we are you know, going through something that is painful and, and uncomfortable and unknown, th- that shaking can be pretty upsetting and, and disorienting. And it's like, oh my God, what, like, what's going on? And I remind myself, okay, like, even though it feels completely contrary, this is actually progress. This, I'm, 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 that I am scared, that I am uncertain, that I am like shaking uncontrollably is actually a sign that I'm heading in the right direction. And again, I just have to keep going and have the faith that when I break through, that's when the reward will will find itself.
2: Yeah. I very much appreciate your perspective on this. I've, I've heard that. I've never been in a plane that went faster than sound, but I've heard that happens. I've been in sailboats that at a certain point if it's windy enough they'll actually kind of pick up and ride on their own bow wave and start to plane Um, and they go really fast when that happens Mm -hmm. but the moment before they jump into that sort of phase changed um, relationship between the wind and the water they're very unstable and they're full of vibration and when they hit that next phase like you're talking about with the jet it gets quiet and it's very fast
1: well, I'm a big believer in, in pattern recognition, because there's clearly so much of of the of the universe and of energy that we you know we don't we haven't scientifically proven or can explain to a T. But if if it's happening in these ways that we you know that we can in, uh, intellectualize and understand from a from a very objective point of view, then these patterns must in some way repeat, and so. That's another beautiful example of, it's scary. (laughs) It it doesn't feel safe, but ultimately it is.
2: Hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, Visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. Well, you mentioned earlier that you're uh, a visual communicator, and it sounds like you rely pretty strongly on, on the visual pattern languages and, and use that to kind of guide you. As it were, I don't know if it's like having a map, but maybe it's like having stars and a compass.
1: It it kind of is when, you know, as I mentioned, when I uh, worked on my photography back a long time ago um, in college, you know, I didn't I didn't really have a lot of understanding of what I was doing. I just knew that I loved taking pictures. I knew that I was good at it. I liked that there was the creative side of actually shooting and then I could go into the dark room and that was more of a technical process. And it wasn't until I went back to school about 10 years ago and pursued and got a design degree that I finally had the language to understand what I kind of had been doing my whole life. And so, you know, so that sort of opened a door for me. That I didn't really fully understand about myself. And I, I now understand that I'm a very visual thinker. I kind of think we're probably all much more visual thinkers than we realize. But if you you know, if you kind of even take that out of the equation, as human beings, we evolved to process visual information. At lightning speeds. You know, if you think back a long time ago, uh, we were going to be eaten, you know, if we weren't always aware of what was going on on the horizon. There are ways that we interpret visual information that are so hardwired into how we interpret the world that we don't even think about them. And so for me, the, the visual communication is, it's always been important, you know, as the world is shifting and we are becoming more and more global, more and more wired and connected, and having all of this information thrown at us, it's become more and more important to not only understand how much information we take in visually, but to better understand how to have some sort of literacy around that. Because again, you know, I work often with entrepreneurs, and when you're talking about a website, you can have the most beautiful message, you can have the most lovely copy, there can be so much content and and value in what it is that you're offering to the world. But the truth is, is that the first impression is always going to be visual. And so what I want to help teach, sort of teach the world is how to make a visual message that really matches what you were saying with your words, what you were saying with your actions and what you're saying with what it is that you offer to the world, because it's much more sophisticated. I think as a whole, we are much more sophisticated than we were even five or 10 years ago. I think honestly, the iPhone has a lot to do with that, but there's still so far to come and kind of the flip side of that, if we go back into sort of, you know, evil multinational corporation land. There's a lot of information out there that is, you know, is manipulating us that if we are a little bit more aware that we perhaps won't be quite as we won't fall victim to quite as easily. And so that's sort of one of the things that I really get excited about. And that is how powerful visual communication is and how much you can affect when you begin to understand even just the basics.
2: Yeah. So speaking of the basics. I'm thinking for our listeners here who might, I don't know about chomping at the bit, but you know they're interested in this and, and maybe they've identified themselves as not creative, but we know that that's not true. Maybe they're a little bit interested in, well, how would I go about upping my visual communication a bit or upping my visual language a bit? What could people do to gain a little more fluency, so to speak, or... Or, or be able to better decode those messages that are manipulative, or be able to better recognize the messages that are important. How do you improve your visual literacy?
1: Well, that's where the that's where the word design comes in. And so, well, so let's see here. So I would recommend that you that sort of a couple things. One, just start to observe even in your own home, like start to have a little presence around what it is that you are kind of attracted to visually, what basically what comes up on your radar. And it's almost as simple as that. Whatever draws your attention is something that for whatever reason you, you, you there's something there for you to pay attention to. So I, you know, I usually kind of do this exercise with entrepreneurs, which is a different realm. I want to kind of stay in the, in the, um, in the regular world, so to speak, but just start paying attention to what is around you. Now, the other thing that you can do is start to just pay attention to when you see even the word design or you hear someone talking about design. Um, you know, we we kind of well, I'm sure we can get back to the galaxy of awesomeness, but one of the things that I love about the world today is Netflix and the availability of um documentaries. I am a big documentary junkie. And there is a lot out there right now um, where people are really just talking about how design affects our day-to-day lives. There's a couple movies I can recommend right off the bat. One is called Helvetica. It's been out for a while, quite a while now. Um, and it was it kind of had a, a buzz for a while. But it's basically about a font. There's a font called Helvetica. It is literally surrounding you everywhere. Like Once you see the film and you see how um, common it is, you're going to see it everywhere. But even something as simple as a font has an impact on your life, even though, you, again, you're not necessarily aware of it. There's another film by the same filmmakers called Objectified, which is a look at industrial design, which industrial design is like objects, you know, so like 3D kinds of things. And if you, if you watch that film, you'll, you'll get a better idea of how much thought, well, not always, but should go into the objects and the experiences of the things in our lives. And so, I would just encourage you to you do a little self exploration. I will also put in a little plug. I don't have it available right now. I have in the past done a i did a, a series called Design School for Entrepreneurs, which was really breaking down you know some simple design understandings so that people could understand where these things came from and sort of incorporate them out into the world mm-hmm. and as the the next year progresses, I'm gonna dive back into that so I guess part of that could be check out my website, which is victoriaprozan.com. And if you want, you can sign up on my email list. And I talk about design, but then we can, can also be a part of the galaxy of awesomeness yourself. But pay, just pay attention because it's kind of all around you. It's one of those things where when you're not aware of it, you don't think about it. And then you start paying attention to it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is everywhere. So put your antennas up.
2: I want to put in a plug for the Galaxy of Awesomeness as well because I find, for me, it's, it's kind of – I mean, it's this wonderful community of people doing exactly what you just talked about. But I do feel it's kind of like a design school. It's a way of – I wouldn't say shifting perception but more cultivating perception. And you've got this lovely way of having different themes for different days and an incredibly safe and supportive environment for people to be working with their perceptual experience and then share that with a community.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. This is the galaxy of... So in essence, here's sort of my philosophy of the galaxy of awesomeness. To me, we are surrounded by so many people who are doing really amazing work. And again, we live in a like celebrity-driven kind of BS culture, but yet there are so many unsung heroes who are out there doing amazing work. And sometimes it's even people that we have heard of. It you know, like musicians are some of my biggest inspiration. Even though I do not play an instrument, I don't sing, I don't write songs, but I get so much inspiration out of sort of their their journey. And I want us, it's sort of the, you know, what everybody says about the news. Like, why do they only give us the bad news? Why don't they give us the good news? Well, this is my version of that. You know, when I see people out there who are following, you know, that that creative path and they're doing the hard work, they're, you know, they're facing that unknown sometimes every day, um, but definitely at certain points in their career. And they're coming through it in their own way. Like, those are the people who give me the courage to, to, you know, to take another step to go a little bit further in my own path. And I just think that if we start to pay attention to how many people are really out there kind of fighting the good fight, we are going to make ourselves, you know, more inspired and more fulfilled creators. And we're going to start to, you know, kind of change the, the conversation of like, oh, that's going against the grain to like, oh, wow, that's actually just following our, you know, natural human tendencies. Um, And kind of what's going on out there is actually much more unnatural, so to speak. And so the galaxy of awesomeness is that there's awesomeness all around us. And it's just, you know, my way to kind of bring some of it in and have some conversation about it so that we, you know, we can kind of cross pollinate ideas and influences and oh, like, here's somebody that I see out there doing really awesome work. And then somebody else says, I never even heard of that. And I can't believe I've never heard of that because this is right up my alley. And that's just really what, what I'm trying to facilitate.
2: Yeah. That cross-pollination piece is really nourishing.
1: I, um, I went to South by Southwest. I actually did a workshop at South by Southwest last year. It was the first time I'd ever been there. And one of the speakers I saw uh, myself was a, John, a, a man named John um, Medea. I think that's how it's pronounced. But he basically has an engineering background went to MIT, you know, it was very, like, left-brainy. He ended up being the president of RISD, which is the Rhode Island School of Design. So, you know, basically that's, like, the Harvard of art schools. It's the best art school. And he now has gone on, he works in Silicon Valley, and he brings a lot of this, went from engineering to design and now into the tech world. And he talks a lot about, obviously, the importance of design within business, but one of the examples he gave that I had never, th- you know, even me as an entrepreneur had never thought about design in this way. And, it, and you know, and it, th- again, this is that cross-pollination idea where when Apple, because uh, at some point he, I think you worked with Apple, but when Apple made the decision to turn their laptops into all aluminum frames, you know, every, every Apple laptop you buy now has an aluminum body, and so that was a obviously that's a design a design decision. However, in order for that to be fulfilled and to you know actually come out into reality and be a sustainable thing for the company, they basically had to work with the the business part of Apple to kind of lock down all of the aluminum supply that was available. And I had never really thought of it in those terms that you know we can make these design decisions um, that you know are so much more than just making things pretty. But if we don't have sort of the the infrastructure to support those ideas, then it doesn't really go anywhere. And that was just, to me, such a really powerful example of, like, cross-pollination in a way that I never would have kind of come to on my own. And he also has a thing where he basically has these kind of roundtable discussions where he invites people th- from very different backgrounds to just come in and sort of, you know, Kind of have like a social social meetup and gather and just kind of problem solve and talk about different aspects of what they can bring into something, so that that cross pollination can can really happen. And so a lot of great things happened to me when I went to South by Southwest, but his talk was one of those that I, I you know will stick with me for a really long time. And I think the cross pollination that kind of really factors into that whole idea of healing the greater good in the world.
2: Yeah, I. For much of my life, I've tended to be somewhat of a divergent thinker, so I'll think about one thing and then often I've, I'll be thinking about things that are apparently unrelated, but eventually I find that they hook up in curious ways. So this cross pollination thing is is a bit of an affirmation that that's useful. I, I'm really struck with what you said about Apple deciding to go all aluminum and part of that decision, which was a good decision and probably solved some problems in one way, created some massive problems for them in another, because now we've got to go out and get all this aluminum. And I'm thinking about all the times that I've come up with some great solution to whatever problem I've got in front of me. And it solves the problem in front of me, but it doesn't take too long to get down the road. Before I realize that I've created a completely different set of problems, which I've often seen as kind of a sign of failure for myself. But in having this conversation and hearing what you're talking about with the importance of cross-pollination, it makes me realize I may just not have gone as far afield as I actually need to go afield to get a bigger vision of what's going on.
1: Yep. One of my other core beliefs is that everything is connected, so what you said about like, oh, sometimes I have something and it doesn't seem related at all to what I'm doing. And then I somehow find that it works its way in. It kind of comes back to that idea of whatever kind of passes onto your radar. Th- th- it's there for a reason. It's, it's, you know, it's not arbitrary. And we, I think that we as, c- as creative people, again, this kind of goes into what I, one of the things that I love about the Galaxy of Awesomeness is that there are so many people out there to inspire us and to kind of give us a little breadcrumb that we perhaps can follow that we wouldn't have we wouldn't have gotten there on our own and so it's not necessarily about being inspired by the end result of what somebody else does but just you know a little tiny takeaway of like this doesn't really seem related to what i'm doing but you know what? There's something in here for me. There's something that maybe, I, maybe I'll use it tomorrow. Maybe I'll use it in 20 years. But it's a little seed that's gotten planted in the back of my head. And someday it's gonna, I think it's going to sprout something that will be helpful.
2: I, I found it helpful, too, to recognize that answers and solutions don't need to come from me. In fact, the more that I'm open to other influences and allow the solution to be outside of me, the easier life seems to get. I love that. That's, just, that's a good one. It's just been my experience. I mean, I'd love to be able to take credit for the brilliant things I've done in my life. But I think some of the most memorable moments for me, I don't know if I'd say they're an accident, but it it's like two things showed up and, and I had enough smarts to just say yes to it. Had mm-hmm. I tried to put it together myself, I don't think I would have had the mental or um, cognitive skills or, or organizational skills to make it happen, I love that this brings me up to the question yeah. of limits, right because a lot of us, when we run into to that unknown piece, w- you know we run into some kind of limit and often we'll make excuses around it or we'll just decide it can't be done, or you know we're afraid of it, as you were saying, Joseph Campbell suggested that. The cave we don't want to go in is exactly the cave that we do need to go in. Most heroes start out on the hero journey with mainly ignorance, but a calling. So what do we do about limitations?
1: Well, see, I got two things to say about limitations. One is the only limitations we really have are the ones we put on ourselves. And, that, you know, and that, that's somewhat cliche, but it's still true. We have so many more opportunities, especially in the world that we live in right now, than ever and it is our own limitations it is our own inability to see what we are capable of I think that is a universal that is the limit however from a creative point of view there really is a school of thought you know in the creative world that it's actually that creativity loves constraint
2: oh I love that
1: Yes. And that you can actually, that that too many options can really inhibit your, your creativity because there's just too many options. Like you just, but you know, if you recognize like, okay, let's, let's just say money, because I think money, money and talent are probably two biggest limits that people say, Oh, I don't have enough. I want to, I have a great idea, but I don't have the money to make it happen. Or, Oh, I have this really great idea, but I'm just not good enough to pull it off. Well, if you want to frame it that way, well, then you can frame it that way and you probably are right. But if you want to frame it a different way, you can look at, okay, not what do I not have, but what do I have? I can say that when when I was in design school, when I was really learning how to design, one of the things that they teach is that when you're starting out with, let's just say you're designing a logo. Let's just use an easy example. Like you don't design it with every color in the rainbow at your disposal, you only use, it's a black and white and gray problem. That's how you, that's how you learn to design. And it's only once you get to a point where you have a decent design in grayscale that you even think about bringing in color. And then from there, maybe you just bring in one color. And so, you know, that's a visual example. But if we focus on what those limitations, then we're only going to see the limitations. But if we really think about like, okay, look at what I do have. And I, you know, as I've become more accustomed and comfortable in that realm, I actually like it now. I did, a, my husband and I did a big personal downsizing two years ago. We sold our house. I had a, a, I basically had a big art studio. I was a silk screener at the time. I had a lot of art supplies. I got rid of all of it. And now we live in a much smaller. We live in like a 700 square foot apartment. We love it, um, but I have very, I have a very small amount of space. Like I can't just have whatever I want when it comes to, you know, even art supplies. And so I have to be very strategic. And I find that now, when I sit down to like play around or create something, I actually have a sense of ease that I didn't before because I had so many options to choose from that it just became overwhelming. It's like, well, I have all this stuff here, but I don't know, maybe there's something in that box over there that I need. And then I would always just spend all my time looking for stuff instead of actually creating. So that's just a little example of that, but focus on what you have and not what you don't have. And that will actually help the creativity come out because you can focus on the action versus the decisions.
2: Love that. Yeah. As you mention this, I'm, I'm remembering a guy that I saw uh, 15 years ago in a subway, in, a, in this like subway tunnel in Beijing, this Chinese guy, and uh, he didn't have hands. He had no hands. He had, uh, he just had wrists, but he didn't have hands. But he could hold a brush really well between these two sort of ends of his arms, and he drew beautiful bamboo, and his calligraphy was outstanding. He didn't have hands, mm-hmm. but he had a way of connecting with something about as simple as you can get, which is a Chinese brush and some ink
1: mm-hmm. and paper. What a great example of that.
2: Yeah, it just, I hadn't thought of him in a long time.
1: He could have could have seen it as limitations. I don't have hands. How can I create art? Instead of what well, can I create?
2: Yeah, this stuff was beautiful. Well, I'm I'm waiting for uh, probably just one more question to to come up that will let us sort of take this and wind it down. I there's a lot that's come up here in this short 50 minutes. Is there uh, are there any other are there any questions or directions that you'd like to explore before we wind this down?
1: Well, let me let me just offer a small little prompt. Um, for people who either, you know, do think of themselves as creative people or perhaps don't Um, because, and this kind of comes into the mindfulness and the, you know, being present and that is kind of taking this all the way back to the beginning of like, we're all born creative that if you begin to look at your life and what I mean by that is like, look, look at your home, look at your family. If you're, you know, raising a family, the foods you eat, you know, if you if you like to garden, even the way you dress yourself, like those are all creative choices. You know, the our, our, every day we're you know faced with options, and so it you know it doesn't have to be whether or not you know you can paint the most beautiful masterpiece, or that you know you can play play the guitar or write a song, or you know you're an eloquent writer. Those are all also very important. You know, fun creative expressions, but it doesn't have to be that complicated. It really is just how you show up in the world. I like to define creativity for myself as it's sort of how we filter in what is coming in. So sort of, you know, as I talked about, like whatever comes up on your radar, whatever, whatever gains your attention, that's sort of a form. That's sort of the beginning of your creativity. So whatever comes into you, like kind of using yourself as a filter you process through whatever it is that you're offered through the world and then whatever it is that you offer back out. Like that to me is all the creative process is. It's taking in what you choose to take in, sitting with it, processing it, and then turning it into something else that comes back out into the world. And I think that if we think of it in those terms, it, it doesn't feel as intimidating or as overwhelming. And we begin to see that it, that is just the process of life. And so if we can bring an awareness to the choices that we're making, that, you know, we can be a little bit more deliberate in perhaps the areas that we don't feel like we're getting the results that we want, but also it empowers us that, oh, there are choices. I am creative. I am creating, again, business, family, you know, a household, a garden, and, um, just make it bring it down to the, the the simple, because the simple is always always the best,
2: yeah, well, and as I listen to you talk about this, it's something we already do the The piece that might be missing is that little pause to recognize that, oh, this caught my attention, oh, those colors together, I like it, yes, these clothes, these shoes, um, this garden, to just take that little pause. And notice that you notice is a good yes. first step. hmm Awesome. Well, so if folks want to find you, your website is?
1: Uh, it's victoriaprozan.com. That's easy. That's easy.
2: And then over on Facebook is the uh, incomparable Galaxy of Awesomeness.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, and, I, and you can definitely look us up on Facebook. You do want to – I encourage you to sign up on my mailing list because that's the only sort of requirement for access to the Galaxy of Awesomeness. It's all free, of course. But get on my mailing list um, because the sort of my my newsletter and the Galaxy of Awesomeness go hand in hand.
2: Yes. And I got to tell you, the stuff that comes from the newsletter in the Galaxy of Awesomeness is incredibly nourishing to that creative – that creative part, really juicy stuff. If it was Chinese herbs, it would be the bujong Ichi tang of creativity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to take your word on that.
2: <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show today, Victoria.
1: Oh, thank you. It was so much fun to talk to you.
2: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so... Please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week.